All right. I appreciate that this morning. Thank you so much. If you're turning your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 2, we'll take our text from verses 4 through 10, continuing on with our study through uh, this great book. And as you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and we recognize and remember every time, and I will really emphasize this tonight because it's really kind of what the message tonight is about, is wisdom revealed out of 1 Corinthians. And here's something that we understand as God's people, that if you learn anything at all today, if anything comes out of this message today, it is through God's Spirit that He reveals that to you. It's not the eloquence of a preacher, which by now you guys have figured out that is true. Uh, it is going to be God's Spirit and His Word that does that. And that's why we pray every time, uh, because we show ourselves to be in a very humble position that we recognize that it is God who gives us His Word, right? And so let's just go to Him and, and humbly ask Him this day for His blessing. Father, we do thank You to be in your presence this morning. Lord, that we are able to call you Jehovah. Lord, that we are able to call you Father. And we pray this morning, Lord, that by your Spirit and through your Word, God, that you would touch our hearts, that each and every one of us would walk away different this morning. We pray most of all this morning that Jesus Christ would be lifted up, that he would be seen for who he is, the Almighty, our Savior, our Lord, our kind Master. We thank you for this day, and we pray, dear God, that you would have your way with your people this morning. And we pray that in Jesus Christ's name. And the church said, Well, uh, I am, uh, I've been, you, you'll probably notice that I don't look any worse for wear. I've been batching it for about a week now. And, uh, and most of you guys that are, you know, batching it, here's, here's how I, I run the outfit. Ann has things prepped when she leaves. I have a plate. I have a fork. I have a cup. And I live on those things through the week, you know. Wash one at a time. They're good. We're back. That way, you know, that, that way I keep the place looking halfway decent. All right, so this morning uh, in, in your Bibles, we'll be there in just a moment, uh, but just by way of introduction, let, let me just start with a question, all right? Let me, let me begin with a question. Is there a standard for a profession of faith? In, in other words, is there a standard for someone who calls themselves a Christian? And as I, I kind of thought about that as I was prepping the sermon this week, and really all through this series, we, we keep seeing an overall running theme. Historically, the answer to that question is, yes, there is a standard. However, that seems to have changed dramatically, really recently, but several years, probably a decade, maybe two decades, but really, really amazing how that is changing in our country. Let me just give you a for an instance. This is a, um, a survey done by Ligonier Ministries. They do one every two years. Last one was 2016. They just finished one in 2018. And there are some uh, kind of uh, startling, alarming statistics out there. Here's one. 
78% of evangelicals, now let me, let me stop. An evangelical, so we understand what evangelical is. An evangelical is one who historically has believed in the authority of God's word. Right? That is what an evangelical is. They believe this, that also sola fide, which simply means faith alone. That by faith alone in Jesus Christ, that we have been justified. All right? So that's what an evangelical is. They believe in the authority of God's word, and they believe that it is faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ is how we are saved, how we are justified with God. 78% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now let that sink in. 78% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is a created being. Now see, the Bible doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it makes it very clear that Jesus said this, by him, for him, and through him were all things created. In other words, he is the creator, not the one who is created. Jesus is the one who is creator. Now, beyond that, it, it, it's startling as word as well. Here, here's something else. 51% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. And we're, we're living, and listen, uh, that is, that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that if we're going to come to him, we must come to him in spirit and in truth. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, it says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Right? And so, this alarming, over half of evangelicals believe that there's some other way that, that we, you know, that, that God says this is fine. Uh, the psalmist said it this way, he says, I hate every false way. Well, why? Because it leads men in a damning direction, that's why. 51%. Consider this. 60% of evangelicals believe religion is a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. 60%. That, what, that, what that says is this, is that it doesn't matter what you think, Riley. It doesn't matter what uh, Truman thinks. It really just matters what I think. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what Riley thinks. It doesn't matter what Truman thinks. And it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. Right? Now, again, 60%, well over half of evangelicals believe that there is no objective truth. 44% of evangelicals don't believe the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior is relevant. Now, I'm not just picking on one sin there. I, I, I'm getting to a point here. Uh, Ann was meeting with somebody this week, and uh, she was saying, how do I answer this question? Because it was another, she's uh, uh, mentoring a young lady, and, and that young girl was asking a question about somebody who said they were a uh, Christian, and they said, quote, unquote, I don't believe, she says, the Bible is outdated when it comes to same-sex uh, uh, relationships. It's just outdated. 53% don't believe the Bible is literally true. See, here, here is, this is the root of the problem. That God's people 
have stopped believing that this word is true. You see, Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, thy word is truth. And, and I say that this morning because as we kind of roll out to this message, this survey speaks in very unfortunate reality that many of God's people have fallen victim to false teachers and false teaching. We have church leaders who downplay the importance of doctrine and what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, we have a really big name out there saying, just jettison the Old Testament, stop saying the Bible says, and start saying, well, John says, and Paul says, and Peter says. He says, that's what we need to be saying. That's Andy Stanley, by the way. Can I tell you this, that John and Peter and Paul were all saying what God said, if I understand the scriptures correctly, right? Because the Bible is inspired by God. So, it's an alarming time, but be sure of this. I want you to hear this, West Side. God is calling his people to return to the absolutes of Scripture. That, that is so necessary this day for us. And our text this morning expands on the biblical truth that, and here's where we're going, it expands on this truth that a willful, consistent lifestyle of sin is inconsistent with the Christian life. Right? Now, I, I, we've covered a lot about that, saying that we, here's a great place for everybody to say amen. We understand that Christians still sin. Amen. That sounded weak. We understand that Christians still sin. Amen. All right. I just wanted to make sure that none of y'all thought you were Jesus out there. All right? There is the fact that you and I still sin. Right? But a consistent, habitual lifestyle of sin is inconsistent with the Christian walk. Last week, our final point was those who have their hope in Christ are to pursue holiness and purity. Our lives really should match our profession. In order to understand our text better this morning, we need to be reminded of why did John write this book anyway? Why did he write the letter uh, to this group of people? He wrote it because he was saying, listen, I want you to know, in, in John chapter, uh, chapter 5 and verse thing, 13, he says, I write these things in order that you know that you have eternal life and that you know Jesus Christ, that you know. And he says, so here's how you know. He writes out a series of tests of saying, if you're doing this, then you're walking in Christ. If you're doing this, you're not. And it's not something to beat people up on, but it's a great evaluation. It's a great tool for us. Remember, he's writing to the church and saying, here, look at your life and take a look and say, are you doing these things? Because there are a great many people out there today, I believe, who have a false understanding of what it is to be a follower of Christ. You see, a follower of Christ is just that. They are a follower of Christ. Right? Not just professing it, but doing it. Now, let me give you a couple of points here this morning that we'll go over. Three, three, three different points this morning. First one is this. 
God's law and sin can't get along. That's the title of the sermon, just can't get along, right? You ever, ever seen something like that? People that can't get along, things that just can't get along? Uh, I had a cat and a dog once that couldn't get along. Well, let me tell you what, sin's just like that. There are certain things that just can't get along, and God's word and sin can't get along. Second thing that we'll look at this morning is this, that Christ and sin can't get along. And third thing this morning is the Holy Spirit and sin just can't get along. So let's talk about the first thing, and we'll look at verse 4 of chapter uh, 2 of 1 John, and it says this, verse 4, Whoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So when we talk about God's law and not getting along with sin, one of the first things that we need to do is we just need to have a good description of what sin is. And sin is simply this. Sin is, it would be missing the mark, right? Missing the mark. The idea would be of an archer taking his bow and arrow, shooting that arrow, and it always falling short of the mark that it was intended to hit. And that's exactly what sin is. You see, it is always falling short of the mark. Uh, sometimes I will sit down and share Christ with people, and I'll say it's like this. Any, any of you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? It is an awesome, awesome sight to see. You know, very, very deep, very, very uh, wide. Uh, we got some athletic-looking dudes out here this morning, uh, some young guys, and you know, I, I would ask them, you know, saying, do you, think, do you think that this fat old preacher here could run and, and jump across the Grand Canyon? And they would simply do this. They would laugh and say, there's no way that you could do that. And I'd say, you're right. I said, do you think you could do that? No, I couldn't do that. Do you think the best athlete in the world could do that? No. You see, that is what the Bible talks about, sin, that is missing the mark. No matter how hard a man may try, he cannot hit the mark because of sin. Right? It means to be without righteousness. Sin, is the Bible says, is lawlessness. At its root, it is rebellion against God. It is living outside of the law of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 tells us that the natural mind of man is hostile toward God. I was recently speaking and talking to somebody about various things in life, and everything was going good until I brought up the person of Jesus Christ and I could literally watch the change in their attitude and their body and just the anger at the very name of Christ. You see, that is sin. It's hostile towards God. John chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, that it tells us that all who do evil hate the light, who is Jesus. Why do they hate the light? Because it exposes wickedness, is what the Scripture says. Colossians 1.21 tells us that we were enemies in our minds by wicked works. You say, well, Jim, what's, what's the point of this in, in God's law not getting along with sin? Here's what it is. Professing does not mean possessing Christ. You know, the great majority of people say this, that we are a Christian nation. I say au contraire. <laughs> I think that the majority of our nation is not Christian. As a matter of fact, I don't even think we're living in a post-Christian society. I believe we're living in a neo-pagan society. 
Now, I, I'm, I'm, we'll tell you this, I've got a lot of pagan friends, you know, I love them, you know, you, you didn't do the type of work I was in uh, for as many years as I did with not knowing a bunch of pagans, right? And I've known some of them, I've known some of them who've died, and I know they've gone to hell. And so, when we talk about this, that God's law can't get along with sin, simply professing Christ does not mean that you possess Christ. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 through 23 to me is one of the most fearful scriptures that is out there because it says this, that there's going to come a day when some will come before the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. That, that Lord, Lord was really meaning, listen, how serious I am when, he's, when they were talking to him. Lord, Lord, look at all the things that I have done in your name. And, but note what the, the Savior's responsibility or uh, response to them is. He simply says this, I don't know who you are. I have no idea who you are. I have never known you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You see, simply just saying that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you what that means. It means nothing to simply say it. It means everything to do it. Can I get an amen out of that? That is what John is trying to say. Now, in, our, in the climate of our culture, they say, well, that's not very loving. Listen, this is the greatest loving message that there is. That God decided that he would put on the heart of a man not only the thought that he had, but the words that he had. And he said, John, I want you to write these things down so that when people hear this, when they read this letter, and now here we are 2,000 years later, and here is a, 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 an old gray-haired man preaching to you saying, listen, you need to do more than profess Jesus Christ. You need to walk as he walked. That's it. That's a loving message. That's a great message. It would be an unloving message to say, just continue the way that you're going. Don't worry about it. That wouldn't be very loving. Simply declaring yourself to be a Christian, as I said, means nothing. Well, what, what defines a lawless person? What is it that defines a lawless person? Note, uh, let's look at verse 5. It says this, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Uh, some translation will say, and everyone knows. Well, what does that mean, everyone? No exceptions. That's what it means. There are no exceptions. What are the exceptions? What is that person that he is talking about? He says, everyone that practices sin. That is it. Everyone that practices sin. Every one of these uh, verbs that are used here are present tense verbs. Here's what it means when we're talking about a present tense verb. It means this, that it is ongoing, habitual. There is no change in what is going on. It, this, is, this is what it means. It means that it is a continual, habitual way of life. It is a way of life that marks a lawless person no matter what they say. There is some craziness that's sometimes taught from a pulpit. But my prayer is that always that I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. And the text says this. You know, one of the things that, that uh, sometimes when you come in and, and it just seems the theme is the same thing over and week after week after week. And, but you know what? 
That's because God wanted the theme to be the same week after week after week. Because that's what the whole book is about. And we're not going to veer from the text because it, it, it may not be popular at the moment. I can't imagine, I think it was Ezekiel that was the prophet who just preached judgment his entire ministry. Nothing but judgment. Can you imagine that, Truman? Every, every week getting up and going, you're all headed to hell. You're all headed to hell. Man, I would hate to have that ministry, but that's the ministry he had. I'm glad that I, 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 one of the things that somebody asked me one time, said, well, do you, do you preach, are you an evangelistic preacher? No, I just preach the word, but the word's certainly evangelistic, isn't it? See, because the word this morning would call out to every single person that's here and saying, are you professing or are you following? And if you're not following, follow. That's an evangelistic message, amen? So, we look at that and we just say, what is, what is the way? I, I wanted to read, uh, read to you just uh, what the Lord says concerning what marks that type of a lifestyle. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, it starts this. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. By the way, sorcery is, deals with drugs. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that sounded like my resume before I got saved. That sounded exactly like my lifestyle before I came to Christ. You see... Simply professing doesn't mean, if that's the lifestyle that would characterize a person's life, John makes it very clear that that is not a believer. Contrast that with the one who follows Christ, marked by a life of obedience and submission, marked by denying ungodliness, and has a love for the body of Christ. Not a sinless life, but not a life that's characterized by sin. Right? All of us still struggle. Can I get an amen? amen. Your pastor still struggles, right? You know, when the guy cuts you off, on, that's why I don't put those little Christian emblems on the back of my car, right? Because if I behave in an un, ungodly manner, I don't want to say, ah, yeah, there we go. But if anything, well, listen, I don't want to get too far off on it, but I drove through Camp Creek Parkway, and I'm going to tell you what, that's the devil's highway. Man, that'll make you want to come unsanctified in a hurry over there. Just want to get it across to us this morning. As we look at this scripture, and John is saying, look, whoever commits sin transgresses the law. That whoever, that's anybody. And if it's that constant lifestyle, can I plead with you this morning? Hold yourself up against the scriptures. Don't hold yourself up against another person. Hold yourself up against the scriptures and say, is this my life or am I in another camp? The great thing about it, let me, let me reassure you this morning. The great thing about this, brothers and sisters, is that God never 
spanks those who come to him in repentance. You hear me? God never chastises, wears out the person who comes to him in repentance. He is always there. Picture the prodigal son and the father who was looking down the road, and when he saw that prodigal coming, he ran to meet him. You see, if you're here this morning and you may not know Christ as personal Savior, or you may just be walking the guilty distance, the answer is still the same. Come running to the one who's running to meet you. Christ and sin cannot get along. Verse 5, I got ahead of myself a while ago. Verse 5. And you know that he, we'll read through verse 8. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins uh, has not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. And he that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not only can, does God's law and sin not get along, but now we take it to Christ, and Christ and sin cannot get along. It says here, you know. You know. You see, if you're a believer this morning, you know that sin and Christ are incompatible. If you're a follower of Christ because he has put his spirit in you and you know that sin cannot cohabitate with Jesus Christ. He is Lord, which means he reigns, which means he is sovereign, and that word sov means over, right? S-O-V, sov, over. He reigns, that reign, so he reigns over all. He will not tolerate sin as habitual in the life of a believer. I want to tell you what, I've tried it. There was a point in my life that I tried it. I wanted to keep one foot in with Jesus, and I wanted to keep one foot out into the world. And I'll tell you what happens there, is you're the most miserable wretch in the world. Because you know where you should be. Because the Spirit of God convicts you constantly, saying, no, no, no. Why do we have to say no to that? Well, here is why. He came to take away our sins. That's what the Scripture says here. He says, you know that because he manifested. He, was, he came for this purpose to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. We, we talked about this so many times, but think again, dear saints, of this, that past sins, present sins, future sins, all taken away by Jesus Christ. You get the implication of that? Oh, that this morning that we can come before him openly, freely, unashamedly, because He has taken our sin away. The Bible says He has removed our sin as far as from the east is from the west. I hope that makes you excited. I hope that gives you confidence. 
You see, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. If you're a child of God, the sin is forgiven. You may have done something this morning. Can I tell you something? Your sin is forgiven. You remember as we started to preach through this, it says His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that verb there means it is an ongoing, continual washing that you are constantly being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when God looks down and sees you, He does not see a sinner. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's an awesome thought. Go back to saying that God treated Christ as though he had lived my life in order that he might treat me as though I had lived his life. That's awesome. Man, you can't get much better than that. But not only that, that he has removed our sin from the past, present, and future, but also the penalty, power, and presence of sin. But I want to focus especially on the power of sin. You see, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from sin. Before Christ, you and I were powerless. Powerless. To sin. We were slaves to it. I had no choice. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You have been set free, delivered from its power. And what does that mean? That means this, that when I sin as a Christian, it's because I've made a deliberate choice to do so. Because I don't have to anymore. Now, again, hear me. We're not going to reach perfection this side of glory. Can I get an amen? But we've already been declared to be perfect in his sight. You come back tonight, we'll talk about that. Perfect in his sight. Before Christ, powerless to resist, but through Christ, we're empowered to live a life that pleases him. That is one of the reasons, listen, when the Lord taught us to pray, he says, pray this way. And you remember part of that prayer is this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what the Lord is teaching us in that? That every day you and I should get up and say, and Lord, keep me close, keep me clean. Keep me with a right heart before you. Everybody looking left and right. Go ahead, do it. You see, every person in here has the ability to slip off into sin. But it's so important for every single one of us to pray this, God, keep me close keep me clean. God, keep me from slipping off into sin. You see, the man, I heard this week, two pastors, two pastors in a row within six months in the same church resigned for infidelity. Right? Now, here's the, here's the scripture that comes to mind. Take heed, lest you fall. Right? You see, every single one of us are capable of sin. But the lifestyle should not ever be that of a believer. In him, in him is no sin. Why is that important? Well, if Christ sinned, you and I are hopeless. You get that? If, if Christ sinned, you and I are hopeless. Why? Because, listen, some people seem to think that the reason Jesus came was to, to 
save us from the devil. No, the reason Jesus came to was save us from the wrath of God. You see, the devil's going to wind up in the same hell that every lost man will wind up in. Jesus didn't come to save us from the devil. He came to save us from the wrath of God. And that's a terrible wrath. Jonathan Edwards talked about it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Those in Christ are those who are characterized by a, life, or a, a godly lifestyle. Look at verse 6. It says, Whosoever abideth in him sins not. Whoever sins hath not seen him, neither knows him. Now, again, let me go back. Present tense verbs. That means constantly, habitually. There is, you would look at their life, and if you were to look at their life, it, it wouldn't like, look like there's anything that you could recognize as a follower of Christ. But what you recognize is that they are living a very worldly, ungodly lifestyle that we read out of in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. That's what we're talking about here. So when he says, if you see that in the life of someone, he says it doesn't matter what they're saying. Whoever sins has not seen him. In other words, they don't know Jesus Christ. They may know about him, but they don't know him. There's a big, big difference in there. Let me give you some statistics again from the Ligonier survey. 69% of people, evangelicals, disagree that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, let me pause on this for a minute. Let me just camp out here just for a second. Because I want us as a church to get this. If we're going to see God move, within the congregation of Westside Baptist Church, then we must see God for who He is. And to see God for who He is is a holy God. In Him is no sin. He is absolute holy, absolute purity, and He says of His people, Be ye holy because I am holy. Now, when we look at that, and you say, surely, you know, is, will a lie, will a lie, just a white lie, I mean, just a small little lie, is it that big of a deal? Uh, you know, uh, to, to take a look at that, that magazine or that, that video or, or that, that thing online, is it, is it that big of a deal? Yes. You see, here's what the Bible says. If you have fallen short in any part of the law, you have failed in all of the law, is what James says. Let me just give you another practical demonstration. If you're hanging over that, you remember we were talking about the Ten Commandments? You remember that? We're, or, or not, pardon me, about the Grand Canyon? We were talking about the Grand Canyon? You take, you take a chain, right, and you hang yourself over the Grand Canyon a mile deep. You're hanging on this chain. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten links on that chain. Listen, it doesn't matter if the first link breaks, the fifth link breaks, the sixth, seventh, it does not matter. The result is the same. You're gone. That's what we're talking about. So it doesn't matter. You see, the slightest sin, the slightest sin is what sent Christ to the cross. The problem is not God's view of sin. The problem is God's, uh, God's people's view of sin. And we're not seeing, for, seeing it for what it is. 
58% of those people strongly disagreed with that. Strongly, it's like, no. You see, that what that comes down to is that we think that for some reason that there's greater sins and there are lesser sins. Well, there, that is true. There will be greater punishments and lesser punishments in eternity for the unbeliever. But one sin will send them to hell. One. That's it. doesn't matter which one. One. Do you see the urgency of the message that we have? I'm so glad somebody told me that I was a lost man. I'm so glad that somebody told me that I was not right with God and that there was one way to get right with him. Sometimes I'm amazed at how light people take it. Sometimes I don't, you know, even this morning I debated on whether to talk. I don't like to use a whole lot of me in some of these things. But sometimes guys think... I'm tough, I'm bad. I was a green beret, right? You guys understand that. I fought bad guys. And I lost friends. And they were bad to the bone. I mean, bad dudes. But I'm going to tell you what, when they stepped in front of that God, when they died, and I know that they were lost, they weren't bad. They would cry out and say, oh, God, have mercy. And God would say, too late, my friend. So if you're here and you're thinking that you're bad, you ain't bad. Not in the sense of being bad to the bone. You may be bad on the side of God, and that same God will look at you without reservation and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Won't matter what mom thought, won't matter what dad thought, won't matter what husband thought, won't matter what uh, wife thought. It is between you and you alone that you will stand before that creator. He says, but if he sees the enemy and he warns the people and they don't pay attention, he says, I won't require anything of him, but their own blood is on them. You say, Jim, why do you continue to preach this way? Because I don't know if I'll be here next week to preach. That's why. No guarantees, right? So whatever God gives me this week, I want to make sure I give you everything I can. The Holy Spirit and sin cannot get along. Look at verses 9 and 10. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Pretty clear. A pretty clear message that John lays out. He says, listen, if you are born of God, you cannot just cohabitate with sin. You can't continue. It can't be your partner that you walk through this life with. It is the Spirit of God that wakens man to sin. Listen, if you're here this morning and you could care less about uh, what I'm saying, can I tell you this? You're in a dangerous position because it means God is not even speaking to you this morning. And so I don't even worry about that person. 
Because God is the one who has to awaken the spirit of that man to hear the message. I'm simply broadcasting that message out, hoping that it falls on a heart that God has awakened to his word. It is through the word that a man comes to faith in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 make it very clear. It is by the word of God. Romans chapter 10 makes it very clear. It's by, it's by hearing the word of God that you receive faith. You see, here's the deal this morning. If you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we thank God so much that you're here. We really do. But this is an opportunity this morning that this should be your, what you would cry out to God. You should be like that, that publican who beat his chest and says, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And thanking that he even awoke in your heart to hear the message. You see, because man is not smart enough to figure this out. It's by the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. What is John saying here? He says, listen, in in verse 9, whoever is born of God doesn't commit sin. Why? Because his seed is in him. The seed there is the Word of God. The Word of God is in him. You see, there was a point for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that the Word of God got in our heart and we realized we were a sinner and we needed a Savior. It was that Word that got in there and, and awoken us. And we said we need a Savior. And what keeps us is that same word. Can I tell you some Christians here this morning, and I promise that I'm talking to a large majority because I've been where you're at, and sometimes I still get there. Why we struggle with sin in our life is because we're not abiding in the word. It becomes something that maybe sometimes we might look at a little bit, You know, if Netflix doesn't interfere, I got to watch that latest show, you know. Because it is not at work that a man does, but it is the work that God does that will last. Why, after 44 years of serving Christ, am I still here? Because of him. Not because of anything in Jim, all because of him. He says this, it was made manifest. What are we talking about there? Through the indwelling work of the Spirit, we now walk even as he walked. It's not a work that can be manufactured. It is a work that is done by the Holy Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled people will behave like Christ. I was... uh, and he may hear this, uh, but you know, he'll forgive me if he does, my older brother. And uh, they're just going through some difficulties, and I said, still pray, and I was praying a certain way, and he says, well, he says, I can tell you this, God's doing a work in me too. And I wrote him back, and I said, isn't that great? Because he's using this tough time that you and your wife are going through in order to make you more Christ-like. You see, he had a choice. He could respond in a way that was ungodly, the way he used to respond, or he had a choice of responding in a way that that Spirit of God was telling him to respond. Boils down to this. A sinful life equals a child of the devil, and a holy life equals a child of God. Pretty straightforward. 
People freak out sometimes when I say there are only two families. But that's exactly what Jesus said. Only two families in the world. You either belong to God's family or you belong to the devil's family. That's it. That's what the scripture says. If you're not sure about it, come see me after the sermon. I'll show you. The question is, if you're a child of God, are you going to behave like it? The question is, is if you're not a child of God, what would prevent you from coming? I had a friend of mine, old biker. You guys would never believe it. At one time, I had a long beard and long hair and rode a motorcycle and all that stuff, too. I'm so good looking now, I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> but he was an old, uh, let's just say, an affiliate of the red and white, keeping it tied, a.k.a. the Hell's Angels. And I remember talking to him and saying, hey, brother, what would keep you from coming to Christ? And he said this, I've got to count the cost first. I've got to count the cost. And I said, it's one of the smartest men I've ever heard respond to the gospel because he knew what God was going to call him to do which was to forsake an old lifestyle to follow him now I'm happy to report that that man is a follower of Jesus Christ to this day you see he counted the cost God worked in his heart he responded to the message and he's a follower of Jesus the question is what about you? Are you walking that guilty distance?